Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Thank you, Kat. It's me again, I'm sorry. This is, this is what most vicars have to do every Sunday. I'm just very privileged that I don't have to do it. Lee, well, you're probably very grateful that I don't have to stand here every Sunday, lead and preach. Um, right, as we begin Advent today, um, we're going to look at these scriptures and we're going to look at them through a lens of what it means to wait with hope. And um, as I was asking... <laughs> Some of the children, a little earlier, I mean, these things never go to plan, do they? But um, I was encouraged that they're excited about Christmas, but I was surprised that they're happy to wait for Christmas. I don't know, mums and dads, do you agree with that? Is that the reality? I don't know. Because normally, uh, children are very excited about Christmas, but they don't want to wait. And I don't know about you, but I don't think, well, in fact, Liz, my wife, would confirm, I have not got much better at waiting as the years have gone on. But what we do see in children is as that excitement builds for Christmas, along with it comes an expectation, a growing expectation of what is to come. And that is in part the meaning of Advent, as Carolyn led us brilliantly in that prayer. It's about expectation, an expectation of celebrating Christ's first coming into this world through his birth, but also looking forward to his second coming, his return. And that's what we're going to think about next week. So let's um, join with God's people throughout the generations who have entered into this time of expectation and longing and waiting as we pray that God will speak to us through these scriptures. Father, come and speak to us this morning. Lord, we're all waiting in different ways. Would you help us to hear your voice and be obedient to those things you're calling us to. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now you are going to need a Bible uh, for these next 20 minutes. If you're struggling to find Micah, uh, someone could shout out a page number. Uh, What was it, sorry? 933. Great, thank you, because I've got a slightly different Bible here. Page 933 in the church Bibles, um, and we're reading Micah chapter 5. And I think it helps initially, uh, I don't know how familiar you all are with Micah, probably just get sort of starey glances from you all now. Uh, but it has helped me, let's put it that way, to, to be reminded of the context of this book, of this person and when he was alive, where he was and what it is that he's saying. So if you turn back to Micah chapter 1, uh, we get some help because we can see that Micah came from a town which we know was about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem and to put this into context. At the time when Micah was prophesying, there was Samaria that was the capital of the northern kingdom that was called Israel, and there was Jerusalem that was the capital of the southern kingdom called Judah. 
And in Micah chapter 1, we have a list of kings. So we've got uh, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And that helps us place historically and time-wise when Micah was prophesying. So we know it was somewhere between 735 BC and 700 BC. And it puts it firmly in this time frame when we know from history that there was chaos. The superpower that was Assyria was marching in to Samaria and Jerusalem and in fact took over those cities and plundered them. It was a grim time for God's people. They were facing battles on every front. And through it, the prophet Micah is warning God's people that they have turned to idols. And through turning to idols, they have turned to sin. It's led them to unbelief. And God is not being glorified through them. And as you read through this book of Micah, you'll realize you can do it briefly when you get home today, read through it, that it, it moves from prophecies of doom to a message of hope. But what we see through the whole letter, the whole book, is that there is always hope, even in the darkest circumstances. So we can learn from this how we are to wait with hope ourselves. And the first thing that I want to draw out of this passage, if we could have the next slide, please, Timothy, is that we're to remember that God chooses small beginnings. God is a God of small beginnings. There's a trend in Scripture, isn't there, that God chooses the small, the seemingly unimportant, the weak, the least. And through this, he demonstrates his power and his majesty. So you might think of the fishermen who Jesus called, who went on to found the church that we are now part of. The tax collector, Matthew, who wrote the gospel that we have been reading this morning, 2,000 years after it was written. A prostitute, Rahab, who was used powerfully by God, and her name sits in the middle of a genealogy at the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew's gospel, as someone who was used by God for good. There's lots of other examples. And what we see here in the book of Micah, is that in, and in fact in the passage in Matthew's Gospel, is that God chooses somewhere small and quiet, somewhere out of the way, and he does something extraordinary through this place. He changes the course of history and eternity. So if you move to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we can see that Bethlehem is named here. And as Christians, we're familiar with the name of Bethlehem, aren't we? But if we were to go back to Joseph when he divided the kingdoms and, the, and he lists 115 towns and villages in Joshua chapter 15, there is no mention of Bethlehem. It's not listed there. It was not an important place. And when God instructed Samuel to go and find the next king to replace Saul, he went to this little backwater place called Bethlehem 
to find a small shepherd boy called David. Not the eldest son, but a young shepherd boy. He went to fight Goliath, not with a a big sword and a shield, but with a slingshot. Why? Because God knew that David would rely on God's strength, not his own. And God chose Bethlehem because only God could do something miraculous and bring the saviour of the world from a place like Bethlehem. 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world. In a few weeks' time, we're going to remember Jesus was born in a stable, a shed, not in a hotel. He was born in a manger. It was a feeding trough. It wasn't a cot. This is how the Savior of the world came in to be among us, to be with us, and to save us. God chooses small beginnings. And so for you and me as We live our lives and we wait in different ways. We're to look around and try and see what are the signs of the kingdom. What is God doing around you? Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small, unexpected and unlikely places. And through it, God does miraculous and powerful things as we wait in hope. So I want to encourage you this week... Take time to stop and to pray and to ask God, what is he doing through you and around you that is of the kingdom? Secondly, God keeps his promises. One of the many challenges of waiting is that we can end up losing hope. We're less sure of those things that we once stood firmly upon, the truths. And the people of God, through scripture, have this consistent history and track record of having to wait. Abraham waited 25 years, Joseph 13 years, Moses 25 years, Jesus 30 years. God's people waited in deserts and prisons and pits, furnace, in exile, and they even wait in Reading. You are in good company if you're waiting in your life. All God's people have waited. And the scriptures show us that waiting isn't just this empty place, but it's where God does his most profound work in you and me. And so the God-believing Jews, when they heard Micah, knew that they were waiting. They were waiting for someone to save them, a Messiah. But they were going to have to wait 700 years for Jesus to come. That puts my waiting in perspective. I don't know about yours. 700 years. And when the people around Micah heard about this ruler coming out of Bethlehem who would feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, they would have immediately thought of two people, King David and the Messiah. And Micah is connecting these two deliberately because he's trying to encourage God's people to say, All God's promises are true. And what God promised through David will come true when he said, I will raise up your offspring after you 
who will come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne on his kingdom forever. Micah is saying to God's people, God is faithful, you can trust him. It will involve waiting. Life will be challenging around you, but believe and trust in God's promises. Interestingly, Matthew doesn't include detail on shepherds or stables in his gospel. He focuses on this place, Bethlehem, on the very words of Micah reminding us that everything that God said in the Old Testament has come about and been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so as we wait, I want to encourage you to hold on to God's promises. You know, when we go through difficult times in our lives and get battered by the storms, God's promises are true for you. So read them, breathe them in this week, digest them, hold on to them as you wait. And then finally, God protects us as we wait. Life was at its most difficult for God's people during this time of Micah. We read in verse 3 of Micah chapter 5 that Israel is going to be abandoned until such time a son is born. They were going to be abandoned because of their lack of faithfulness, their sinfulness. And that abandonment is visible if you look to the book of Lamentations. That describes... <laughs> I'm just trying to work out, is this the Lord speaking? <laughs> um, that describes what abandonment looks like. The book of Lamentations, life without God. But even in the midst of this abandonment, God speaks this message of hope through Micah and the coming Messiah. Verse 4, have a look at it. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this is why after 700 years of waiting, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew, the gospel writer, a little before the reading that we just heard, calls Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we haven't been abandoned. You are not abandoned. God is with you. Christ in you. And so after 700 years of waiting, of, of feeling abandoned between the Testaments, hope bursts into the world in this grubby, dark manger in a backwater place called Bethlehem. And Jesus, our Saviour, grows up to say these words at the very end of Matthew's gospel, I will be with you until the very end of the age. He is with you. And this shepherd, Jesus of Nazareth, as we can see here in these words in Micah, stands with you in your waiting and your challenges in your life. He is with you. He feeds you and strengthens you when you're weak and unsure of which way to turn when you're unsure of what's going on around you. He helps you to dwell secure. He protects you when you're going through the storms of life. 
Psalm 23, which I presume you know well, says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with you. God will protect you when you go through the valleys in your life. And this shepherd that we read about in Micah, the shepherd who cares for God's people forever until he returns, was born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled the prophecy. He is our saviour. He is with you and he will return. And as we wait, he stands with you, he protects you, he feeds you. And we're going to share communion now together. And as we do that, this is one way of us remembering God's faithfulness and promises in our lives. And so I want to encourage us before we share communion to pray silently in our hearts these words. It's a communion, uh, not a communion, an Advent prayer from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Come, O Lord. And I want you to just encourage you to be still for a moment. And to bring to mind those things that are going on around you in your life, your work, your relationships, the world. Just pray silently. Come, O Lord. Invite the Lord into those situations with faith and expectation. Pray, come, O Lord, into our lives, into the midst of the storms that we face and the challenges that are before us. We pray, come, O Lord, into this town that we call home, Reading, into the areas of darkness and uncertainty and pain and suffering. 
We come, O Lord, into this your world and into the areas of injustice, of poverty, of conflict. And we thank you, Lord, that as we gather around your table to remember your death and your resurrection, that we also remember your return, the promise of your return. So, Lord Jesus, raise that expectation in us as we ready ourselves, Lord, for your return, that we would be blameless in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen.